This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, co-editor-in-chief of Variety. Today, my guest is Susan Brandt, president and CEO of Dr. Seuss Enterprises. Dr. Seuss is truly sui generis. The 60 or so books left behind by author and illustrator Theodore Geisel are incredible and enduring work. From the cat in the hat to the Lorax to oh, the places you'll go, it's uniquely resonant across generations. As Brandt puts it so well, Dr. Seuss really represents childhood for so many. As a writer and a reader, I marvel at how his books grow with you. At every age, you learn something new. Brandt has the responsibility of managing the archive and keeping the world of Seuss fresh. Based in San Diego, Dr. Seuss Enterprises is the for-profit company that is owned by a foundation. The proceeds from Seuss Enterprises' work go to support children and family-focused charities in the San Diego area. In our conversation, Brandt explains how the company is thinking about the content marketplace at this time of incredible demand for established titles. She also shares the sweet story of how following her heart by moving to San Diego led her to 24 years and counting with the brand she loves. That's all coming up on today's episode of Strictly Business. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, 
Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Susan Brandt, President and CEO of Dr. Seuss Enterprises. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You are the steward of all things Dr. Seuss uh, that manage the the archive and all of the intellectual property left behind by the amazing, amazing author, illustrator, Theodore Geisel, Mm -hmm. who better known to millions as Dr. Seuss. So I would like to start at the 30,000 foot view. You are in such a unique position with the steward of this incredible, incredible marquee content. At this moment in time, when there is so much demand for content, so many different Mm -hmm. avenues to take truly beloved IP, how are you, how are you looking at this landscape? How are you managing? How are you Mm -hmm. managing things? And all of the, I have no doubt the incoming calls are tremendous. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, we do take stewardship very seriously, Dr. Seuss, you know, we're blessed with this beautiful IP and we we take that responsibility quite seriously, myself and everyone else on the team. Um, We also take really seriously the relationship that our fans have with this property. We're so unique. Um, You alluded alluded to it. Um, Generations have grown up with Dr. Seuss. It really represents childhood. Uh, It represents that bond between parents and children. Um, And as such, you have to be very careful with what you do with this content. Um, then we also watch and we say, what are, where are the places that we can further that relationship? Where can we take this beautiful IP and how can, where can we deliver it um, to where our fans are in fact consuming it? And that's why you see us um, actively involved in things like streaming, uh, films, uh, podcasts, stage shows, you know, even cruise ships. Um, if there's an opportunity to reach our audience and deepen that relationship, that bond, that's what we're looking at. When you are working with content that is beyond this, you know, Mm -hmm. the original canon of what Dr. Seuss left, left, how do you, what is the gut check? How do you determine Mm -hmm. the quality to control that this is worthy of the Seuss brand? I think um, you have to pick your partners really carefully. Uh, in any venture, whether obviously, you know, you're making t-shirts or a cruise ship uh, partnership, you've got to make sure, and we try to make sure it's always best in class. And that's where meeting that team, uh, seeing what they've done before, having discussions about how they might utilize the property, that's where your gut comes in. Um, And then I think you trust you know, those partners, you really do. There is a sense of letting go. Um, You, if you do find, and you find the experts and your gut tells you that's the right team, you know, you, we understand the DNA of it. They understand the expertise of their genre. You have to let them go. And so there is a bit of a leap of faith um, that says, 
I'm, I'm going to give you this, this property and you're going to, you're going to caretake it. There's checkpoints for sure. Um, you know, all the way, I'm very actively involved in the major entertainment deal. So I'll work with the, 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 uh, producing parties, the creative teams on films, on television, even the cruise ships, but all the way down, you know, every member of the team is touching those products. So, um, so, so I think it does though, go back to finding those right, those right team members, those partners and really partnering with them. Mm -hmm. And, but it does sound like you said, you said you, you're checking in every step of the way, you know, every iteration, because as you know, it, it takes, you know, it doesn't take long to tarnish even a gold-plated brand yeah. with the yeah. wrong, yeah. Yeah, um, we are notoriously tough, I understand, uh, in our approval rights. We're, that is when people uh, enter into an agreement with us, that is something that I have been told. It's like, wow, no one gets these approval rights. We do, um, mm-hmm. we do. And, and, and we also have a proven track, rec- track record of not holding up productions. That's what people are nervous about, and I get it. Um, you know, production is expensive. And when you have to go back to the rights holder, uh, you know, the potential for loss of dollars, we get it. And we've been able to do that so successfully in the past that people say, okay. And we, that's what I mean about being a partner. You have to know when you can jump in, what's important to change. Um, and you know, what's important for that brand, right? What's important for Seuss. So where will I push back and where, where will I not? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's strict rights that we have. Is it, of course, we know that the industry is, you know, the the industry is in the middle of a huge content boom and a huge, Mm. you know, moment of globalization where we are really seeing for the first time borders really kind of being erased by gigantic platforms. So there's a Mm. lot going on in the marketplace, but is there, is that the reason why we're seeing a lot of Seuss initiatives in media right now? Or is it just kind of coincidental that things have been brewing for a while and this is when a lot of them have come to fruition? Well, things have been burned. It takes a while you know, right. to do these deals for sure. But um, the opportunity uh, for where we can place this content is exploding, right? And so it, there's all these opportunities for us to develop new content. Deals do take time. And sometimes they all tend to uh, happen around the same time. A lot of the, the news that you're hearing, um, particularly our preschool slate, uh, our Warner Brothers, since we have three films with Warner Brothers, actually, mm. um, those obviously had been in the works for a while. Uh, they just happened to all get tied up at the same time. But a lot of this is being generated by the opportunity to create content for different delivery, like again, podcasting. Um, that's We're not yet in that space. We are having discussions. It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't really exist pre-pandemic. There really wasn't a huge there was some yes mm-hmm. but it wasn't as, as prolific as not it is. nearly as much attention yeah. for sure yeah. overall yeah. yeah yeah so we listen you know you pay attention you listen um uh you, you just have to see what's moving and 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 what's appropriate we're not always also concerned with being a first mover sometimes we do but mm-hmm. oftentimes we wait and we say, is this appropriate for this brand and our families is this space where we want to be um, so we, you may not always see us move first. Um, sometimes we do, but oftentimes we're very, we're watching and saying, is this the right move for us? Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes the deals just kind of all culminate around the same time. Mm-hmm. Is the Seuss brand, at first blush, you think of the Seuss brand as fairly, you know, two to five, two to six year old age range, yeah. but is it broader than that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course it has the love of parent, you know, it has that multi-generational that invaluable, but in terms of the core, the core readership is, is it that young or is it, is it broader? Well, I mean, 
fundamentally, you know, the, the company was built on books, you know, yes, 83 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, we 45 books, we have absolutely grown into a global entertainment company. But the core, those books, you know, we speak to the preschoolers, we speak to the early readers, absolutely. But we've been able to take those books and parlay and build beyond that. Um, we certainly have an audience in teens. That's why we can do collaborations like with Supreme or Kylie Jenner. Um, that's why our films, we've had five films and collectively be 1.5 billion at the box office. We can't do that with a preschool only property, right? Right. So we've had this, and I think part of the reason we can do that um, is, I'd say we're really smart, but I think Ted Geisel was really smarter. You know, his his stories have such universal messages and themes that you really kind of never outgrow that, right? You never outgrow uh, a concern for the environment or an understanding of why diversity is so so important. Um, And because those themes you never outgrow, we can take that and we can take those characters um, and remain relevant as people age. So we've got, you know, teens, we've got young adults, we've got parents, we've got teachers, we've got grandparents, um, and we can talk to each one of them uh, done right and appropriately. You also recently announced on the book front, a really fascinating initiative on the book front that also kind of raises the tantalizing suggestion that there is quite an archive of Mm. Dr. Seuss and Theodore Geisel drawings that exist Mm -hmm. that you are now going to kind of share and put out in the world for creators of all different backgrounds Mm -hmm. to come Mm -hmm. in and make new works inspired by some things that that are left so that it it, I have the image of a very colorful spire tower that is full of the full of the archive of um of works tell me tell me a little bit more about, about that project and about the archives that still are left perhaps to, you know, to look through and to look through for content. And I don't, the day that we're recording this podcast, every single motorcycle in Los Angeles is going down my street. I would just like to know. That's <laughs> it's that's a work hilarious. from home Friday and all the motorcyclists are out. I love it. I but love anyway, it. T- tell us about the book, Seuss book initiative. Well, I hate to burst your bubble on what the archives look like. (laughs) You can keep your tower in your head. Uh, It's in a library. So um, when Ted died, Audrey Geisel, his widow, donated all of his notes and his sketches, everything to the to the UCSD library, which was renamed the Geisel Library. Um, So it's a library. It's in the library. and as any artist is, uh, Ted wasn't linear, right? They don't start middle end, right? They're they're extremely creative. Um, and so Ted would just draw, draw things, doodle. Um, he, uh, he would, uh, he had hits different folders, like things that say villains. And all these really interesting, yeah, right? All these really interesting little characters and sketches or places, just locations. So they were just ideas. And I think Maybe. I mean, I, I didn't get the chance to meet uh, Ted Geisel. I feel like I know him, but I don't. I would imagine he was testing things on to see, is there a story here? Or I don't know, or just doodling. So while there's also at the, at the library, all the original sketches for the books that are published, which let me just tell you if you're a fan, is amazing. Um, it's like you can see his thinking, yeah? But then there's oh also, gosh. yeah, right? Super cool. But then there's also um, just, again, these sketches and they're just beautiful characters. So there's characters, there's locations, there's crazy machines that just didn't go anywhere. They were just his. Um, and so our thought was, um, I go, I spend a lot of time at the archives. I just, it helps me understand the man, mm-hmm. uh, which helps me caretake, get us better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I saw these and I thought, we need to do something with this. 
and why not take these and allow these new and emerging voices um, to, you know, keep that legacy alive and let them take it and say, do they, do these stories or sorry, these images inspire a story? And so the thought is to let emerging artists take, you know, a, a sketch, it could be a character, it could be a place, it could be, uh, you know, a machine and come up with their own story and write a book, uh, would, uh, a beginner book for readers in their style, their prose, their artistic style, um, their, you know, their characters um, and tell a story. And, and then these books would also just have a, a quick aside, um, maybe the forward or the backwards, it would say their process, like, why did they like the hummingbirds? Like, what, why mm -hmm. did that inspire mm -hmm. this beautiful story? Um, I just love the idea. It's also actually in keeping with what Ted Geisel himself did. So Ted started the division at Random House called Beginner Books, mm -hmm. and he was president. That logo, it, yeah. again, one of those things that just is such a trademark of quality to parents yeah. for generations, it, it just utterly yeah. invaluable in terms of again, that, that, the, what it's, what it speaks to about what that yeah. book is going to represent in, for that child. You know, so many people to that end. So because when it was a beginner book, Ted put his cat in the hat and the logo on it, right? This was part of the, the, the division of Random House, part of the, um, what do you call it? Um, I can't remember the name of it for the books, but anyway, um, so that's why there's other authors that have that logo on there. So many times people say, oh, what are you doing? You know, I work for Dr. Seuss. Oh my God, I love Dr. Seuss. I love Go Dog Go. And I always say, that's a great book, uh, but it's a beginner book. You know, it's not a Dr. Seuss book, um, but it was in the same vein. So Ted um, worked with emerging um, illustrators and authors at that time to help basically kind of teach them, how do you write a book that's appropriate for early readers? And we are not, we don't have to teach anyone, but the idea of giving a platform to new and emerging artists is certainly consistent with um, what Seuss is all about. Mm -hmm. And so those will start as books and conceivably, you know, that's more, that's more ITP. Will they be branded some form of Dr. Seuss's dot, 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 or? Um, we'll use the, 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 the name Seuss Studios. So mm -hmm. just like you see beginner book logo on like go dog go, um, you'll see a Seuss Studios logo on someone's book. Um, mm -hmm. But it's their book. They own the copyright, it's their book, right? It's just under our line of books. Imprint. Imprint was the word I was trying to think of before. Imprint. Uh, this is not an imprint. This is a line of books. And I guess in the publishing business, there is a difference between the two. Uh -huh. And is, I think I know the answer to this, but I am curious, is there any, is Dr. S is, is Dr. Seuss always a kids and family brand? Is there a version of Dr. Seuss that could be more adult? I mean, I realize some of the movies uh -huh. have aimed, you know, a, a little broader audience, but is there something that would, that could you know, if you, you, know, if you were to do a, a, a yeah. fully adult themed property, is that, yeah, is that I mean, out of the realm of consideration? No, I mean, maybe we've talked about it. Um, I mean, could we do, so for example, Ted Geisel, these notes are in the library as well. He gave lectures on how to write children's books. Um, that could be cool, right? Like maybe you do, we do a book that teaches, you know, adults, like how do you write a children's book? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um We've toyed with books on art, um, you know, taking those early sketches and, mm -hmm. you know, doing it a book that's really, because they are beautiful. They're like pieces of art, you oh. know, doing that type of a book. So the answer is we've thought about it. I haven't done, I haven't, I haven't found the right idea quite yet, but I think it's conceivable. Why not? Now don't run off with thing one or thing two. Stick around to hear more from Dr. Seuss Enterprises CEO, Susan Brandt. 
my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that, plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. And we're back, just like the Sneetches on the Beaches, with more from Dr. Seuss Enterprises CEO, Susan Brandt. Because it's such an interesting life and, and the legacy is there, have there, there must have been inquiries about doing a, a, a more traditional Hollywood biopic of mm-hmm. Theodore Geisel. Is that, mm-hmm. Does that ever come across your desk? I know you mm-hmm. have a background in, in film. You had previously worked for 20th Century Fox. I did. I worked in the home entertainment division, though, so a little removed from the lot. Uh, we were the hanger honors. You, know, like, uh, you were I, making the money and back in those we days. We were making the money, yes. Uh, well, I've always been a classic marketer, so I took mm-hmm. that approach um, with home entertainment. And when I when I was there, it was actually VHS type tapes. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was it was back in the day. Um, yeah, of course we've been we've been approached. Um, we had a partnership with Illumination Entertainment with Chris Melodandri, uh, and Chris and I did spend a lot of time thinking about could we do a biopic how would we do it and how would we make it special and unique and just couldn't figure out the story couldn't figure out the angle um for for the film so just haven't quite figured that out yet mm-hmm. but would you say it's something that is kind of still simmering somewhere in the idea stage or uh dsc is not seriously considering it not right now mm-hmm. we've got three films that we're focused on right now and and, and we're very excited about those are the films that I alluded to with Warner, right? So you had mentioned John Chu, mm-hmm. uh, Hannah Magella and Bad Robot with mm-hmm. Oh, The Place You'll Go. We have two other films mm-hmm. um, it's working also with Warner Animation Group. We have The Cat in the Hat and we have The Thing Movie. So right now, we, we, and as you alluded to as well, we've got a lot of content with Netflix. We're focused on those right now. Mm-hmm. We're not actively seeking another film right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a lot, you've got a lot going on. Let me ask you, when you do a deal with Netflix, given Mm -hmm. the, you know, given the IP that you bring to the table, do you own the underlying series? Is that, does that become a property of Dr. Seuss Enterprises or does Netflix, does that property lie? Ah, 
You're asking me to go back to that contract and think it through. (laughs) Typically, and I'd have to go look at the Netflix deal. I don't remember. Typically, like when you do a film, the studio owns the copyright to the film. That's very normal. Um, So I would imagine that we we probably scheduled or uh, structured it that way. I honestly don't remember. Um, But all these rights are are outlined, you know, in in your Mm -hmm. contract, what they can do, what you can do, who can Mm -hmm. utilize it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't know the underlying copyright. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I would honestly imagine it's Netflix um, because that's how we do our films. Uh, that's how most is. Um, so, for example, the Chuck Jones special, the TV special, that, mm-hmm. that was originally MGM. They have the copyright. So that's usually how this is done. The copyright's held by the studio. Oh, the How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the the uh-huh. Chuck Jones special. Um, mm-hmm. So I honestly, I don't know. I'd have to go back. I'd be surprised if it's not structured that way. Is there, I mean, can you give me an example of sort of, I, again, bringing that kind of IP, mm-hmm. utterly, utterly unique, you know, IP yeah. That that gives you leverage in deal making when you're when you're talking about media or any kind of exploitation of those rights. I... Well, you know, we're just fortunate that we we come to the table with Dr. Seuss, so <laughs> you know we can. And, and I'd like to think we're fair but tough negotiators. You know, we're going to get you know a, a a good above market deal, um, both in terms of the financials. Uh, control is important to us. Um, any kind of ancillary, you know, uh, rights will will we'll negotiate. Mm-hmm. That gives you, uh, you know, a bit of leverage without having, I can't really get into all the details, but it does allow you some leverage. That said, we are always motivated to do a fair deal for both parties. It doesn't make sense if you do a deal that really is one-sided either way. Eventually one party is not happy. So we mm-hmm. really do try to be good partners. You know, we're going to fight hard for what we think is right, but at the end, it's got to be a fair, fair deal for both. And when I say underlying copyright, that's to what what's created the, you know, obviously the characters that we come with, we keep, those are ours. They're always ours. Nobody ever gets those. Yeah. But the new entity that's created is probably, you know, it's probably Netflix as a copyright. Like again, I I have to go look at the deal. Mm -hmm. No, I think I I can appreciate that distinction and that's interesting, you know, obviously. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, Mm -hmm. for, uh, for candor there. Um, And do you see, it's interesting because I would imagine, you know, I think, you mentioned to me before as a statistic, something like one out of every four mm-hmm. family or child born mm-hmm. in the United States gets a, gets some form of Dr. Seuss book in their first year. If I'm repeating that as a right. first book, as a first book. Yeah. As their first book, one in four gets a Dr. Seuss book as their first book. Or that, one of their I mean, first, yeah. Yeah. That is just, um, excuse me. That is just a, you know, kind of a, a stunning level of reach. Um, do you, so, I mean, again, those books, I'm sure that just the, there's a certain sales volume that there's just yes. always, but do you see when you have new TV or film con- in the, yeah. content in the market, do you see an appreciable spike in the sales of those classic books? If, if the content yes. is tied to, you know, if the content is tied to it, or if there's just a moment where people are talking about Dr. Seuss again. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly if we have a really exciting and successful, uh, product, whether it's a film or it's television, we, you know, as we like to say, all boats rise. Um, you know, it's not usually just uh, whatever, you know, book this, this, the entity may be based on. It's literally our, our portfolio rises um, and that's books. And that could also be licensed products as well. So successful entertainment projects really help the entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us a little bit about how the Dr. Seuss Enterprise is structured. I understand that it's basically the overarching entity that owns it is a foundation. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So we're definitely for profit. It's really interesting. Uh, people always think we're a non-for-profit or they'll call, talk, talk about us like we're the estate, um, which I think is interesting. I think that goes to the goodwill there is for the property. Um, we do, first and foremost, we're about being good to children um, and being good to families. So everything we do, we we use that barometer, is this good for kids? Yes. So I think that's where some of the beautiful halo where people think we're a non-for-profit, but we're not, we're for, for-profit uh, organization. Um, since Audrey passed, we are owned by a foundation, uh, but we are not the foundation. Uh, we simply are able to provide money to the foundation <laughs> uh, so that they can do good. Uh-huh. Oh, that's awesome. That's gotta yeah. be, that's gotta, that in and of itself has got to be awfully full. It's lovely. It's lovely. Every, every bit of dollars that, you know, we pay our bills, but after that, you know, the money goes to a foundation um, and, and they do good in the world. And that's a, that's a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what size of an operation do you have? You're based in San Diego. We're in San Diego. You know, um, we never like to give absolute numbers. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're smaller than you think. Uh, uh, and yet I always say, um, you know, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people around the world that work on SUS. And it's because we have a very unique way of working. We do have a core team that works uh, in uh, San Diego and Los Angeles. And actually we have one in the Midwest right now. Um, but we partner with a lot of licensing. We have a lot of agents. So we have licensing agencies that work with us in Europe, uh, in Australia, uh, in Latin America, uh, in Asia. Uh, we also work with agencies that help us in the entertainment space and the publishing space. We work with ICMCAA. Um, we work with a lot of different uh, agencies that rep us, you know, in their various. We work with foreign publishing agencies, Curtis Brown. Um, so we have a lot of people that are on our team that are helping sell and manage our relationships. So in that regard, we really do have hundreds, if not thousands. They're just not under direct payroll. I chuckle thinking of the response that you must get when people ask you, what do you do? And you said, I'm, I'm the CEO of Dr. Seuss. That uh, must be kind of a. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, um, I, I, I love my job. And I also love getting to tell people, this is what I do. And people say, I love Dr. Seuss. And my response is always, I do too. I do too. You know, I, I love this body of work. It's great when you can absolutely say that. Tell us, how did you get there? You've been there um, more than 20 years now. Oh You've my been gosh. there quite a, quite a yeah. long time. I like to say I joined when dinosaurs were still growing the earth. Um, <laughs> yes. Now I've had the good fortune to work here since 1998. So for a long time, you know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of luck got me here. Um, I was working in Los Angeles. I was working for 20th Century Fox Film Corporation in home entertainment international. And my then boyfriend, now husband, uh, had an opportunity in San Diego. And he says, you know, would you move to San Diego with me? I said, yes, I will. And people say, oh my gosh, you're, you're throwing your, your career away for a guy. I'm like, yeah, because it's the right guy. <laughs> I threw said career away. I came down here and I read the newspaper that Dr. Seuss was doing a movie. And I wasn't working. I was going to just figure out what I was doing down here. And so I wrote to Dr. Seuss and I sent them a cover letter in rhyme, which Oh my God, I cringe now. And it's it just, <laughs> the luck came from, I sent it to them and the day that the head of the board, I sent it to him, uh, received um, uh, my resume. They were deciding at that day whether or not they were going to hire somebody to help them with licensing. And they they were split. The board was split on this other woman. And they said, well, ooh, this resume just came. Let's talk to this. It was Susan O'Sullivan at the time. Let's talk to this Susan O'Sullivan. Um, and so I, I came in and, and I got the job. So I just happened to open the newspaper that day. I just happened to get the resume before they made the decision to hire this other, hire this other woman. And uh, I loved it so much. I stayed 24 years later. I'm still here. <laughs> Susan, you have to tell us at least one of the rhymes in that cover uh, letter. People have you asked have me. To. They don't even you have, have to. 
I, I've got to, I, I will try to find it for you. So I don't have it here. I, I, I wish I kept it, uh, you know, but I don't know. I thought it was clever at the time. Then I look back I'm like, this is silly. And so I got rid of it. I'll find it. I'll find it. I think one thing, I think, you know, a, a few generations of variety reporters have had the fun. You can't do it all the time. You can't overdo it. But every so often, every couple of years, there comes a project or an opportunity where you can write a story in Susie and dialogue and rhyme and you just yes. you just do it with apologies to the master but knowing yes. that that but knowing that you know you think about just the the love of language and the playfulness mm. that those books that that work inspires it, it's yeah. true i just i find it again as a yeah. writer i just find it so awe-inspiring to step back and think about what it stands for and what it means and so mm -hmm. i think you know i i know that he would appreciate that it resonated that long and that people care so much. It's really, yep. it, it's exciting. Yep. Let me Audrey, ask. I was going to say, Audrey, his, his, his wife, his past used to say, she used to think Ted would be tickled. She used to always say Ted would be tickled that we're still talking about him and his works. Um, and I love to think that, that he'd still be tickled that people care still. We do. <laughs> Uh, Susan, let me ask you to take another step back and tell me in your path into marketing and into business, what was it, what was it in your, you know, early career or, or background? What was it that put you on the path that you, to get yeah. you to where you are today? What made you get into this, into the industry, the entertainment industry? Absolutely. Well, um, I always wanted to work in business. Uh, even as a child, I played office, um, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> I made my brother be my secretary. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I also felt when I, when I had the opportunity to do so, that I would only work on a product or with a company that I truly cared about. So I really wasn't interested in working, you know, perhaps uh, working for, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I wasn't interested in working with like a Procter & Gamble on soaps or things like that. Just not a shit. I don't care. So I only wanted something I was passionate about so that I could spend the amount of time learning and, you know, being excited. Uh, so what did that mean? I, I worked in the wine business. Um, uh, I worked for Ernest and Julio Gallery. I actually worked for them. I was in meetings with them. I mean, how stinking cool is that? Yeah. Uh, I worked in the luxury resort business uh, and I got to work in the film business uh, so that when the opportunity to work with Dr. Seuss came, you know, that was another love. Um, so I got to work in that business as well. So it was really picking companies or products that I found incredibly engaging and interesting and saying, yeah, I'll do that. And that's what I did. for listening. Be sure to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from listeners. And please go to Variety.com and click on newsletters to subscribe to our free Strictly Business newsletter. As always, tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff.